Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. We just ended our Sermon on the Mount series last week. Did y'all enjoy that series? Sermon on the Mount, it was challenging for me. It was good for me, and I think it was good for you all. If you missed it, it's all online. You can watch them now, uh, too, but you go online and check those out on our website or our podcast. Catch up with us. But today, we're going to venture into Psalm 51. Psalm 51, it's one of my, it's a, it's a heavy one, but it's one of my favorites. Um, where you look at David's brokenness, we look at um, where he's broken before God after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Psalm 51, verses 10 through the end. And the reason I picked this is sometimes when we come to the end of the year, a lot of us have gone through a lot. You know, our, our year has been tough. Before we enter this Advent season or even Thanksgiving, we're like, man, I'm broken. I'm messed up. Any of y'all been broken this year? Just feeling down and out? Yeah? All right, well, get to Psalm 51 with me. Meet me there. If you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet with me as we read the word of God together. Psalm 51. If you got it, we'll give you a few more seconds. I still see some people flipping. So once you got it, go ahead and say, got it. it. Psalm 51. Starting in verse 10. The text reads, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar very words of God. Amen. Amen. Today I want to preach on this topic. Brokenness is a good thing. Brokenness is a good thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You're an awesome God. I ask that you would just speak through me, God, to your people. Allow them to hear you. Decrease me. Hide me behind your cross so you may increase. Father, we ask that you have your way in this place. Move amongst your people and let your word go forth. You're a good God, and we look to hear from you this morning. We need you, Jesus. It's all these things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. You can be seated. Well, some years back, Oprah Winfrey, she interviewed uh, Elizabeth Edwards, wife of the senator, John Edwards, and shortly after she was diagnosed with cancer, she does this interview, and she asked her 
how she was feeling. And Elizabeth responds this way. She says, she's experiencing still a lot of pain from the broken rib that she had. But she adds to saying that I'm experiencing this pain. She said, I thank God that my rib was actually broken because that broken rib is what made me go to the hospital, which led to an x-ray, which then led to a bone scan, then a CT scan. And then lastly, the doctors discovering that she had cancer. She said, since they discovered it so early on in the process, she felt that she would have enough strength to fight it in a positive way. So she tells Oprah, don't miss this, she says the broken rib was what put her in a better position to fight a bigger battle. Some of y'all missed that. See, if it had not been for the broken rib, she would have not known that she had cancer. Hear me, there was this external, external struggle that was bothering her that led her to discover that she had a much deeper, more detrimental internal battle going on. Now, see, this story relates to us because sometimes God will allow us to go through things or experience our own mess or experience things that are hard, brokenness, to expose this deeper internal battle with sin that we cannot see we cannot win, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has already won that battle. He's won the battle, and guess what? He's still working on behalf of believers through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And then one day, the text tells us in the Bible that he's coming back to remove us from the very presence of sin. But renewal, what we need to realize is, yes, that battle against sin is much bigger than we can handle, it's hard, but sometimes we'll see in this text today, God allows us to mess up. He allows us to sin. He allows us to experience that brokenness so that we can see how much we need him. See, brokenness is something that the true Christian is known for, which doesn't mean that we walk around all down, droopy-eyed and dreary and moping about all of that. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. People should see believers and say, there's something different about you. And the reason they're saying that is because when they look at you, they know that you're going through it. They know that you have pain. They know that there's brokenness there. But then they say, man, you smile a whole lot. I mean, you, you still are filled with joy. I know you're going through it, but you, you, you still are joyful. It's something different. And here's the thing. Believers don't smile because they feel good all the time. We smile because although we may be going through it, we may be broken on the inside, we can be joyful because we have a God that's much bigger than our battles. See, it's in that same brokenness, though, that we're able to experience the goodness of God. So the believer smiles, although broken, because God is good. So let me ask you, as we get into this text, how do you respond to brokenness? Let me ask again, how do you respond to brokenness in your life? That's the question as we enter in the text this morning. How do we respond to brokenness? This psalm is written after David commits the sin of sleeping with Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. He then 
takes this woman in his house, kills her husband, puts him on the front line, kills the man. And then he walks about like, hey, I ain't do nothing wrong until little old Nathan the prophet comes along and tells him this parable about a man that had many lambs. And he says, there's a guest that comes into town and instead of me killing one of my lambs, the many lambs I had, he kills one of the one, the one and only lamb of this poor man and he gives it to the guest. Nathan telling this, pro, this parable, David's sitting there fuming. He gets mad. He says, look, I'm going to go kill that rich man. And I'm going to take all of his lambs and give it to the poor man. Nathan is sitting there like, dude, this is, he says, you are the man. He says, you took Bathsheba, you slept with her, you got her pregnant, and then you killed her husband. You are that man. See, friends, what we see in the passage right here today is that David has become aware of this. He's become aware of his sin and he's seen the depth of his depravity. He being the king sees that he's not out of sin's reach. And see, some of us need to hear that because we walk around like our stuff don't stink. And none of us are out of sin's reach. So when you see someone that's down and out, you see them going through it, you see them in the midst of their sin, the, the proper response is not shame on you. You need, to, you need to figure it out. It's like, no, no, no. But the, by, by the grace of God... That, that could be me right now. So there's no shame. It's actually compassion. We're all sinners. Maybe burst somebody's but We're all sinners. We're all going to sin. And just like David in this psalm, we got to be aware of it. We have to be aware of how jacked up we truly are. See, but the good thing about knowing how depraved we are is that in our jacked upness, if you may go with me on that, we become enamored with someone else who's not jacked up, who's holy, who's never sinned, and his name is Jesus. See, friends, David understands that he sinned against God and him only. This is what he says, because God is the only one who's sinless and has the power to remove sin. He has the power to forgive sin. He's the only one. He says, have mercy on me in verse 1. He says, wash me clean from my iniquity and sin in verse 2. Then David goes to the extent of saying that I was brought forth in iniquity or sin. Not saying that birth itself is actually sinful. He's saying that my mess and my sin steep so deep that it can be traced back to my conception. What David is realizing is that just how deeply depraved and sinful he really is, which causes brokenness. And see, this brokenness now leads to this sense of remorse and contrition. See, he uses imperative commands. Don't miss this towards God. He says, be gracious to me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Create in me. This is irregular because he is this inferior being and he's commanding a superior God to do something on his behalf. You don't see that happen. That's like my daughter's coming. Daddy, you better do this for me. What? This is what David is doing, but don't, 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 don't take it as disrespect. That's not what's going on. David just sense, has this sense of urgency within him and say, I'm so messed up and I need you. See, so hear me, when you come face to face with your sin, when you come face to face with your mess, there's no reason in a way like, uh, I ain't that bad. I could do better next time. No, 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 no. You call out to God, this is me, and you fall to your knees saying, forgive me, oh God, because you see how messy you are in the midst of his holiness. That's repentance. 
There's no, I'll do better next time on this and that. It's like, I'm messed up. This is me. So what I want to do is I want to start in verse 10 before I get too carried away, where David says, create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit. And I want to work our way down through the end of this psalm, because in the first part of the psalm, as you already heard me kind of talk about, David recognizes his mess and where he's fell short. It's this sort of woe is me, have mercy on me, I'm a mess attitude. But then it changes in verse 10 where he says, create in me a clean heart. But here's the problem. If we're honest, many of us don't make it that far in life. We don't make it to verse 10 in our lives. No, no, we, we cut the process a little short. We don't like seeing the mess in our lives, so we, we don't want to sit in the mess, and we run someplace else, so we try to fix our mess. Or on the other side, we sit way too long in this woe is me type of place. But either way, we never really get to the place where we're reminding ourselves of the biblical truths of how God cares about us, how God loves us. We don't turn back a lot of times to the one who can truly restore us. We stay in the place where we're not supposed to be. Hear me, sin should cause remorse. But when, it, when, when, when you really get a picture, a clear picture of your sin, when you really get a picture of that, it's not, that's just, it's not just a bad thing. No, no, it's really a gift. It's really a gift from God because, hear me, many of us are too enamored with ourselves to really see us for who we are. If we're honest, God's, God is gracious enough to allow us to see our mess and he's gracious enough to fix it with Jesus. I mean, that's the gospel. Jesus sees us in our mess. He accepts us in our mess. He saves us. He changes us. Then he uses us out of that mess. Come on now. That, that, that's the gospel. That's grace. This is where David is in the text, y'all. He's seen himself, he's broken, and he's calling out to God. Now, hear me. Seeing oneself and how truly messed up we are, it's not a bad thing. We don't like it. We don't like what it looks like. We don't like what it feels like. But it's not a bad thing. Because in that moment, when we see our mess... And when we realize we don't have what it takes to be all that we thought we actually could be, that's when we finally realize we need help. See, hear me, because here's what I want us to take away. I don't want y'all to miss this. Not only should the believer be in a place of remorse or contrition when we sin, but the place of brokenness and repentance is where the believer should live. See, brokenness it should be part, it is part of the Christian's makeup. Renewal, the reason I say this is because like Andrew Murray says in his book, Humility, he says, it's in our understanding of our nothingness that we find salvation. It's in our humility and understanding that we're not enough and we will never be enough that God is able to be God. Because it's in that place that we stop helping God. We're able to stop trying to gain salvation. We're able to realize we don't have what it takes, so we stop proving ourselves. We're not in the way anymore. See, it's only when God graciously allows us, y'all hear me, to, to, to see ourselves and we truly understand that we don't bring anything to the table that we see him for who he truly is. That's tough because we like to think we got it all. We can make it happen. We know we shouldn't just be broken when we commit sin. 
But we should always be broken because like David says in his text, sin is in our nature. I don't just sin sometimes, but I'm a sinner. But the good news about that is that God saves from sin. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That doesn't mean I won't mess up. I'm still going to mess up. But God is gracious to save me. He cares for me. But here's the issue. We understand that cognitively a lot of times. We, we, we might even understand it for a few days. But it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. Because our nature, we, we want to sin. We rebel against God. We keep running the other way. And what ends up happening is we, could, we, we start this up and down roller coaster of sinning and running back to God. Sinning and running back to God. You ever been there before? You keep doing something over and over again. Like, why do I do this? I know it's not going to fulfill me. I, I, I want God. But you keep going back and forth because it's in our nature. Friends, when we understand how broken we are and how inclined to sin we are, we should sin less. Because it's in that midst of your sin, when you're like, I don't have what it takes, you stop turning to yourself and you turn to someone who is holy. You turn to the one who's only conquered sin. That's Jesus. Freedom from sin, don't miss this. Freedom from sin in your day-to-day walk as a Christian comes when you're fully dependent on Jesus at all times. Sin never satisfies That boy, that girl, that thing that you thought was going to give you all that. No, no. It always overpromises and underdelivers. But God is all sufficient. It's like Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They got everything they need with God. They have all of that. They thought that that eating from the tree was going to give them more. No, all it did was create chaos. They had everything they needed. With God in the garden, but then they're enticed, their feelings, everything's enticed. It's like, oh, it may be something that's possibly greater than God. So let me go ahead and eat from this tree. And they sin. And immediately, you know what they feel? Shame. Shame. Sin doesn't satisfy. Overpromises always underdelivers. Some of y'all missing this. So it's kind of, y'all have been hungry before? Some of y'all hungry already. Thanksgiving is coming. Y'all, y'all hungry? You, you ever been hungry before? You know, when I get hungry, I got to eat. I want to eat, you know? And, and so sometimes I'll be at the store with my wife. We'll be walking around. We'll be shopping. And, and, you, and my stomach will start growling. You know, you can hear it. You know, when you're really hungry, you can hear your stomach outside. And my wife like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm hungry. She said, well, you know, I got a bar or a cheese stick or something in my bag. And I'm like, what? I'm a grown man. I want to bar a cheese stick. Like, what? If I eat that bar of cheese stick, I mean, what am I going to do with that? I'm, I'm over 200 pounds, played football in college. I, I, when I'm hungry, I need to eat. If I eat this bar, it's just going to make me mad. <laughs> but if I sit down, you know, it's Thanksgiving time, and I give me a nice full-course meal, a nice juicy steak, loaded baked potato on the side, all the fixings, you know, some asparagus or greens on the side, wash it down with some cold lemonade. I'm going to be good because that's sufficient. But the bar is not sufficient. It's just going to make me mad. Some of y'all are missing this. Here's the question I want to pose to you. Why settle for the snack with sin when you can have a full-course meal with God? A full-course meal 
Why? Friends, the temporary pleasures of this world, all that it has to offer to you, all the things that look good to you will soon fade away and be no more. But God will never fade away. And the text tells us in the Bible that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's good. This is why David says in verse 12, look at it with me. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He says this because through his brokenness and in his own sin, he understands that nothing compares to the joy he gets from God. David is a king. He can do whatever he wants, including have sex outside of the woman he's married to, to another man's wife, get her pregnant, and then kill the man. This is what he did. Don't just gloss over this, y'all. David didn't go to jail. We would have been locked up. They won't let me. We would have been up in there singing Akon. There's no way we would have got out of jail. David doesn't get locked up. He can do whatever he wants, but that's not the point. He, does, he gets away with it in, in the world's terms, but not with God. When he gets face to face with his sin, he says, God, restore the joy of my salvation. The joy that comes from God. Because, friends, when you've tasted that good meal, family, you know that that snack won't ever suffice again. It might fill me up for a minute, an hour or so, but sooner or later, I'm going to be hungry again. David literally had it all, but compared to the joy he has with God, it was nothing. Friends, let me ask you, what sin snack is replacing that godly meal in your life? What are you snacking on? What's replacing that, that full course meal? Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. But see, here's the problem. Some of us, we know sin doesn't deliver. We know that we, we've been in Bible college and all that stuff. We know that Bible thumpers, we, we know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from God. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebel. We, we know that, but we don't stay in a state of brokenness knowing we need Jesus. No, we don't stay in this, this, this state of knowing I need him. We don't stay in a state of knowing we're not enough. And what ends up happening is we turn back inward and we rely on our own strength. We no longer fall to our knees and say, I need you, Jesus, because internally we're saying to ourselves, what can I do? I got this. I can make it happen. I did it before. I can, I can do it again. Let me stop my subscription to Netflix. I know that I'm watching things I shouldn't be watching, and it's taking my mind other places. I watch it way too much. I'm addicted. Let me just stop it. Oh, man, Thanksgiving's coming around. Getting a little heavy. Let me cut out the carbs. I'm going to fail this week, but I'm going to cut it out next week. Uh, wait, wait, let, me, let me put every guard known to man on my computer and my telephone because I'm watching too much porn. We do this and we can do that. We do all of that. And these may not be bad things and they may need to be done. But if we haven't said to God, I need you first, recognizing our brokenness and doing any of this, we've, we missed it, y'all. Family, it doesn't matter how much weight you lose. Doesn't matter how much, how long you can withhold from an addiction or this vice or this thing. If we haven't said to God, I'm nothing without you, 
you're always going to need more. You're not going to have joy that will last forever. We'll need more. And no matter how strong you are or how long you withhold from that vice or the thing that you're, that you're withholding from, family, without understanding we need God, you're still sinning because you're turning inward and you're relying on someone else and something else. You know what you're relying on now? Your own self-righteousness. I say this because when you are trying to work on something, you're trying to work out something, and you're not relying on him, but you're, you're relying on your own strength, you're not working for your salvation. I can save myself. I can do these things on my own. We're not working from this place of where I can find my joy. And I'm not saying don't work out your salvation. Don't, don't run away from sin. That's not what I'm saying. But when you do that without recognizing God, that's dependent on you. It's not him. That's why you keep falling over and over again. When the truth of the matter is, family, here it is. Everything we have, the salvation, the grace that's been extended to us, the joy that we feel from our salvation, all of that is a gift. And the last time I checked, you don't work for a gift. It's free. It's free. Whereas we can go on and on, continue to purge this and give up that. When Jesus isn't just calling us to give up stuff. No, no, no. He's instead calling us to be in a constant state of brokenness over our sin, knowing that we have nothing without him. Saying, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Standing then only through the work of his spirit in us, he changes us. He changes our desires, transforms us into the image he created us to be. See, I'm a firm believer in the fact that sometimes God will just be gracious enough to let you sit in that mess, keep on working on your own salvation, doing your thing, keep battling this sin and that sin until we get to the place of understanding we don't have what it takes and we're not good enough. Sometimes he'll let you just sit there. Sometimes God will allow you to be broken down because that's the only way we'll understand who he is. Sometimes our fight to be better is in the way of God working out his will in your life. It's not a bad thing to experience weakness. God says to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Don't miss that. Paul, in the context of 2 Corinthians, he, he, he's here pleading with God. Take this thing away from me, God. Take this away. Three times he said he pleaded with him, but he does not do it. And God says, my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Friends, this, is a, this, this statement right here, this biblical passage can be problematic, especially for me. Because I want to conquer I want to finish what I started. I want to do things well. But this tells me that God doesn't always remove particular trials in this life. And that doesn't mean he can't. He can do whatever he wants. But sometimes we need sin. Don't miss this. Sometimes we need sin to know how much we need God. Think about it. Friends, if, if I don't know the depth of my depravity, if I don't know my sin, if I don't recognize my sin, then I'll never say I need God. Why? Because if I don't see my mess, I'm going to be like, I'm good. I got this. I'm the man. I'm okay. I'm going to walk around like David like nothing happened. 
This is why Paul goes on and he says that because of this, when I'm weak, I'm strong. You know why? Because just like David, he understands the depth of his depravity and his sin. And he says, I'm nothing, but in my weakness, God, you're all in all. And he knows God. He believes in him. So when he's weak, he's strong because God is strong. Friends, we can walk in our brokenness being joyful because in Jesus we're made whole. See, see, the believer can only be truly content in their walks with Jesus when they recognize how broken they are. It's when folks are willing to say, this is me and I'm a mess. And hear me, it's no, no matter if you're coming to Jesus for the first time saying this or you're 20 years into your walk, this should be a constant statement from believers over and over in their walks, every day of their walks. I'm a mess, I'm broken, and I need you, Jesus. Yes. We don't like that, so we don't do that. Repentance, contrition, brokenness is to be part of the Christian's identity. This is why David says in, in verse 16 through 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Friends, brokenness is part of our Christian identity because it's only in that state of brokenness and knowing that we need God that we'll truly have the joy and the contentment we're searching for. See, that, uh, that those, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the money, that guy, that girl, those things that we thought would give us everything. No. You always, always need more. I mean, I mean, think about it. That house you buy, you're going to always have to do fixing to it. I'm already in the midst of that. You're going to have to fix the house up or you're going to have to buy another one. The money that you have, you're going to always have to work to get more money. It always runs out. It fades. It, gets, it, it doesn't last. But biblically, you look at God, he stood the test of time before we were even a thought. He, he's been there. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's not going anywhere. He never leaves, never forsakes. He's been the same God yesterday, and he's going to be the same God tomorrow. God doesn't want what we have. He doesn't want for us to give up all of this stuff to come to him, but instead he just wants us. He wants us broken and understanding we have nothing to give. And when he gets us, y'all, we don't only just become whole. We don't only just become better off, but watch everybody around us becomes better off. This is why David says in verse 18, do good design. Don't miss this. He says, do good design and build up the walls of Jerusalem right after saying God delights in, a, in our hearts being broken and contrite. Watch what he's saying. He's not actually talking about the city of Jerusalem here. He's telling us that our spiritual health not only affects us, but it affects the other people that are around us. How many of us married in here or have a, have a relationship with somebody, have a friend, you can get with this. I mean, when, when my wife is going through it, I feel it. I feel what she's going through. When my friends are going through it, I feel it. They feel me vice versa when I'm going through it too. How many of y'all been there before when somebody else around you is feeling it? You feel what's going on. Like you, you can't help but to feel it. How you doing? I can see you. Something's going on. I feel it. 
Friends, our spiritual state, our well-being doesn't just affect us, but it can have a positive effect or negative effect on other people around us. But hear me in that, because I don't want y'all to hear me wrong. That doesn't mean go out and buy you some new clothes, get you some new shoes, you know, make it look like you're good, because then people will say, oh, they're good. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. God still wants you to come as is to him. Come broken, come messed up. God just wants you. And when he gets you totally submitted, watch this. When he gets that, now he's able to restore us. But not only does he restore us, but he's able to use us in front of other people and for their good. God wants you broken, all messed up, all of them pieces all over the place. He wants all of that. And you may be sitting there saying, I'm beyond repair though, Pastor D. I don't know if God can do anything with me. Just watch. Won't you come to him and say, God, here I am, and watch what he can do with you. Yeah. Let me end with this. I, I remember my wife and I, we, we bought our first house. And uh, we, we had been written for quite a while, and we had one child, and we were like, man, it's time for us to get something where we can put our name on it and, and just say, it takes some pride in it. It didn't have to be a big house or anything. We just needed something to call our own, so we bought a house. And at the time, I'm looking around, I'm working on houses because... I'm in construction at the time, so I knew, I knew what good homes looked like. I knew what the bones, so to say, looked like in the house. So not necessarily just what it looked like on the outside, because a lot of these homes look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're, they're not that good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. See, the infrastructure might be bad. So I knew what I was looking for. And so we went to this particular house as I'm working on it. We got called to this job and I saw this, this brick house. It was sitting on a corner lot. It didn't look like much of anything. I mean, but it's a big yard. And at one point in town, this house was beautiful. It was one of the most expensive houses in the neighborhood. But when we got to it, this house had been vacant for about seven years. I mean, the people that were living in it, they were homeless. And they had been living there so long that the neighbors thought that that was their home. I mean, they had, for real, couches and, and beds they pulled up in there saying hey to the neighbors and stuff. They didn't live in that house. <laughs> Not a dime paid in rent. It was just seven years vacant. They've been sitting in there. The way I got into the house, I had to climb up through a broken window. All the walls are torn out. You have, you have uh, uh, the, the electricity. You see electric wiring and all of that's gone. It was sold, copper, everything is gone in the house. It looked like somebody just booty bumped all the way down the wall because it's, these holes is like oddly shaped. I mean, they took everything out of the, the house. But every construction work I brought in there, like, boy, this has some good bones. Brick is good outside, the wood on the inside is good. And then I took my wife in there and she, she was like, um, next? I'm like, no, baby's got good bones, it's gonna be great for us. And she said, all right, I'm gonna trust you. And so for three months, y'all, I worked on my hands and knees, gutted this house out, took all the walls out, took the floors out, put all new stuff in, electricity, HVAC, plumbing, paint, you name it. We put all of that in there with about $15,000 of work and my hands and knees this house went from being worth $18,000 to over $85,000 in three months. But don't miss this. The house in its original condition didn't offer me anything as is. But once I got onto the site and I start using my hammer a bit on this house, I start banging away at stuff with that. Once I did that, it not only came, uh, became valuable to me, but it became valuable to the neighbors around because their houses value started going up. Don't miss where I'm going with this. 
It was easy to walk down the street now after working on my house, and I see three to four of my neighbors outside in their yard working on their houses, making sure they look good. Two point being, friends, don't miss what I'm saying, is that that house had nothing to offer as as is. But once I got it, it was not only valuable to me, but valuable to the whole neighborhood. Renewal, hear me. We need to walk out of here knowing that in God's eyes, we're just like that house. Once beautiful, a beautiful creation. But once we entered this world and all these things around us started beating on us, started battering on us, we became broken and without hope. And you know what we do in that, sp- in that space? We just begin to exist in it. And we start trying to find pleasure and things that we want outside of God in any and everything until we get to the point where we're like, I'm not going to make it unless God steps in, unless he comes in and starts using his spiritual hammer in my life, chiseling away and making me look like he created me. And the good news of the gospel is that he does, 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 just that. When you come to him and say, this is me, God, God sees you in your mess. He saves you in your mess, accepts you where you are, then changes you and uses you for his glory and the good of people around you. That's good news. See, some of us have walked in here and we've broken just like David. In desperate need of God, you messed up so bad, you feel like there's no coming back from it. People around you have done so much harm to you. I mean, Thanksgiving is coming up and you're like, thankful for what? I don't want to see none of those people. You just feel broken. Family, here's what I'm saying to you. That brokenness that you feel, it may not be a bad thing. Because in the midst of that brokenness, the weight of your brokenness, the weight of your sin, without it, we would never know how much we truly need God. See, it's in our nothingness that we see God and he's all sufficient and we're able to say, God, I have nothing left. I've tried it my way. And every time I do it, God, I mess up. I fall short. It's in that place where we're able to experience God's fullness, the all-sufficiency of our Savior. Family, sometimes we need to stop fighting brokenness and just sit. We need to accept it and allow God to intervene in that space so we can experience him as all in all. Be patient. Sit there a bit. Allow him to work. It's time to trust someone other than yourself. And sooner or later, as they say, that frown will turn upside down into a smile. Not because you feel good, but because you know you're now trusting in an all-sufficient God who's working on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You're a good God. We thank you for brokenness, God. We thank you for places that, that are hard in our lives, but we don't like sitting. We thank you for allowing us to see our mess. 
God, I pray that the folks in here that are sitting there and saying, I don't want to be there. God, I pray that they would stop fighting it. And begin to just submit it. And this is where I am. And submit it all to you. God, I don't have what it takes. I can't make it without you. And God, I pray that they'll fight from that place. That in that they'll know that they're approved by a holy God. So they don't fight for approval. They don't try to make it. They fight from approval. With a strength that's bigger than their strength. A strength from a holy God. And when we fail, we're okay because we know we're still loved by you. God, let us fight and let us sit in brokenness knowing that we're loved by you. Because all we need is you. God, we're so thankful. We're thankful that you became the broken one for us. That in you and in your brokenness, we can be all we need to be. Sin is covered. It's, it's gone, God. It's, it's as far as east is to the west because of what you did on the cross, God. I pray that we would live in that truth. And remember that when times get hard, that we can still smile because we got a good God on our side. God, we love you. We thank you and we give you praise this morning. It's in Jesus' name we say together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.